Hey, welcome back to the Worldview Minute. I'm Pastor Levi Secord here. We are diving into now Romans chapter 13 as we look at the biblical view of the state and then by nature politics as well. Romans 13 is one of those foundational texts. And when we went through all the trouble that we went through with COVID and lockdowns and, and churches being forced to lock down while abortion clinics were left open as essential in marijuana shops and alcohol stores being called essential, but churches not. Now, some churches resisted. And the bludgeon that a lot of other Christians used against them to try to get them to bend the knee to the state was this chapter, Romans chapter 13. And you can, as you read it, initially see the appeal of how some people have interpreted it. But if you read the passage closely, it's clearly not teaching a universal submission to the state no matter what. And in fact, if you read your whole Bible well, you, you see that that's not the point. There's an entire theme of civil disobedience and warring against ungodly tyrants all throughout the Bible, really beginning in Exodus uh, with, with the, um, the Hebrew midwives not obeying Pharaoh to kill the children. It runs all throughout the Bible. We'll pick that up in another video. But I want to say something to you that uh, Francis Schaeffer once said to R.C. Sproul, two of the greatest thinkers uh, we've had in, in recent Christian memory here in the United States. And uh, R.C. Sproul got into a car with uh, Francis Schaeffer and he asked him the question, what's the biggest threat facing the American church or the church in the West. And Schaefer said, without hesitation, statism. What is statism? It's the worship of the state. Whether in practice or in reality, worshiping the state, treating it, it, it like it is the ultimate authority in life. And that has proven to be true as the state has creeped and grown into this almost godlike role in our lives, completely contrary to the founding of our nation that we have started to treat the state as if it were God. And that really came to a head in 2020 and 2021. Vaccine mandates, church closed down like the state can tell you what to do. Why? Because we treat it like it's God. I want to show you here as we read through Romans uh, 13, we're going to read it first, that there are eight points here I want to address. We could address more. There are eight points here so that we rightly understand what is Paul teaching us? And we have to remember Paul is somebody who disobeyed governing authorities to preach the gospel. So we understood what he was doing here, but we're basically going to answer this question, why should anyone obey anyone else? If all men are created equal, and I believe Genesis 1, 26 through 28, all men are, God made them in his own image. He created them in his own image, male and female, he made them. That establishes a baseline foundation for equality between all humans of every race, every um, sex, every nationality, ability, level, whatever. They're all equal. So then why then should we ever obey or submit to anyone else? Romans 13 is going to ask or answer that question for us here. So this is what it says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all who what is owed to them. Taxes to those who taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe, nothing, or owe no one anything except to love each other. 
For each, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other, any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Okay, so that's Romans 13. It's very clear that the main point of this text is to submit to governing authorities. We shouldn't negate that. But we have to read this in light of its own context, what Paul says and what he doesn't say, and then also in light of all of Scripture, and then we're going to do some of that more in other videos. So I have eight points for us today. And the first is this. The state is God's servant, or his minister, depending on your translation. The state is God's servant, not our Savior. We have come to treat politicians, government, governing authorities, as our Savior that they will deliver us. When something bad happens in society, we look to the government, even people who believe in limited government, even people who are on the political right. They cry out to politicians, and they cry out to the state, please save us. The Christians shouldn't do that. The state is fundamentally a servant, not a savior. God alone is savior. So God says here, or, Paul sa or God says through Paul, that the state is God's servant for your good. And then later on in verse 6, he is a minister of God attending to this very thing, that is executing God's judgment upon evildoers. So the fundamental role of the state is to be a servant of who? It is to be a servant of God Almighty. This means that the state is under the direct authority of its master, who is God. Right? God is the one who has established it, and God is the one who has delegated or given authority to the state. The state does not possess authority naturally unto itself. Nobody does. Pastors don't. Fathers and parents don't. Husbands don't. All of this is a delegated or a derived authority. So the first point is this. The state is God's servant. And we still see this in the Western tradition. It still haunts the West, especially European na nations. We have prime ministers. Why do we have prime ministers? Because of Romans 13. They're a minister of who? God. Right? So point one. The state is God's servant. He is not our savior. Point two, the state's authority is therefore delegated and limited. And so these are tied together because he's a servant. God has delegated or given to him, has put him in the position of power, and has given him specific authority. The authority is not his own, on his own, by his own natural right. It comes from God. Why should anyone obey the state? Because God has given him a specific job to do and has given him the authority to do that job. This means the state's authority is not whatever it wants, but it is limited to its assigned role. It's not natural to itself. The state can't say that, well, now we own the church and we can tell the church what to do. Of course not. That's not what the minister or the servant's job is. The servant only has the authority that its master grants to it. And so this entails that a Christian view of the state has to be, must be limited. We limit the authority of the state because we do not treat the state as our savior or as our God. Rather, we recognize we should obey the state because there's a God above it who has given him a job to do. Third, what is the state's job? What is the state's job? The state's job is to be a minister of God who is an avenger of God's wrath upon the earth. Right? He is a servant for your good. But if you do wrong, you'd be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. God has given the sword to use for punishment, up to capital punishment to the state. For he is a servant of God. Why? Verse 4. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What is this servant's job? It is to execute the wrath of God on wrongdoers. 
if you rewind, if you rewind to John, or Romans chapter 12, right before this, God tells us through Paul to not seek our own vengeance, to seek our own way, but rather to leave our vengeance up to God. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Now remember, in the original text, there is no chapter divisions. So how do we leave vengeance up to the Lord? We let the state do its job. He is the avenger of God's wrath on earth. This is his uh, job, is to punish evil and to protect or reward the good. Part of punishing the evil is vindicating or rewarding those who are doing good. This, fourth, means that the state must know what is good and what is evil. The state must know what is good and what is evil if it is going to do its job correctly. And so while I believe that the church and state must have a level of separation, I don't believe it in the way modern liberals do. Why? Because in order for the state to know what is good and to know what is evil, it is the church's job to speak to the state and to say, hey, this is what is good. Or when the state steps out of its natural role, its servant status, the church is to come alongside and to say to the state, this is evil. Don't do that. In order for the state to fulfill its role as the servant of God to punish evildoers, it must know what is evil. We find ourselves in an odd place today in America because a lot of our governing authorities are now punishing good and rewarding evil. They don't do that universally, but they, they punish those who are doing good, Christians, uh, Christian schools, Christian institutions, and they reward those who are doing evil, like LGBTQ stuff. Like, so what do we do when the state becomes destructive of its own ends, its own purpose given by God? Well, that's a question for, for another video. Five, fifth thing we see from this text. For this reason, because the state is God's servant and his job is to punish evildoers, Paul says to us, you should therefore live righteously and practice a general submission to the state. If you live righteously, if you're not wronging others, the state will, in general, leave you alone. Now, Paul knows that's not always true. You just have to read uh, the book of Acts. He says, in general, Christian, if you live peaceful, quiet lives, the state is going to probably leave you alone. So live righteously. You won't have to worry about the state and practice a general submission. Right? This is the general position of Christianity. When we look at the state, we should want to obey, even when it's inconvenient. Right? There are exceptions to this, and we will dive into that more in a future video. There are exceptions to this. It's not a universal obedience because there's an authority higher than the state. The state is a servant. If the servant is disobeying its master above it, we obey the master, not the servant. But for this reason, Paul says you should live righteously and practice a general submission to the governing authorities above you. Now, sixth, we are only to give to the state what is owed to the state. Nothing more and nothing less. Look at verse 7. Hear it again. Pay to all who is what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So within the, within the governing structure, there are certain things as citizens we owe the governing authorities. And we are to pay it, and we are to pay it gladly out of obedience to God. But this does not mean, again, that the state can claim that you owe more than what is actually owed then you do not have to actually give the state more than what is rightfully its, it, uh, that it has a claim upon. In light of chapter 12, Christians who are dealing with persecution are being wronged. What we see here is if you are wronged, don't take vengeance on yourself. Trust God to do so. One way God does that is through the state, the avenger of his wrath on earth. This, if you're following the flow of Paul's thought, 
in the early church. This is a positive endorsement for Christians that sometimes you should go to the state. Sometimes you should sue. Sometimes you should take legal action because this is how God has arranged the state to function. If somebody's wronging you, including somebody in the state, it is righteous to use the instruments that God has set up to execute his wrath and his judgment upon those who are doing wrong because you're trusting God to deliver you. So, we are only to give to the state what is actually owed to the state. A seventh. We see as this is continued in verses 8 through 10, that not all sins are crimes. It is no accident that right on the heels of saying, submit to the state, give to who the, to the person what is owed to them, that verse 8 starts, owe no one anything except to love one another. So how do I live righteously so the state might leave me alone? Well, then he cites the commandments, but he doesn't cite the first table of the law or the parts of the law that have to do with loving God and respecting your parents. Instead, he cites the second table of the law. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Why is covet in there? Because that's what leads to all these other sins. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. What we see here is a basic biblical principle, that there are sins that are not crimes, and there are crimes that are not sins. And so, God says here, right, what does it mean to live righteously? Well, love your neighbor as yourself. That means don't violate their rights. If you don't violate their rights, then the state is, in general, probably um, going to leave you alone. And so you can sin against somebody. We can talk about covetousness, talk about a sinful thought. That doesn't make it necessarily a crime. The state is not charged with punishing every possible sin. Some sins are delegated to the church. Some sins are delegated to the family. Some are delegated to the state. All of them are underneath God's authority. But there's a distinction here we need to wrestle with. Sins and crimes are not equal. For example, it was a crime for Daniel to pray three times a day in Babylon. But it was not a sin. There's a distinction between the two we have to keep in our categories here. And eighth and finally, when we look at chapter 13, and we say, how then do we apply this to the American context? He's writing to first century Christians living in the Roman Empire with a tyrant on the throne, and then corruption on every level. And that should cause us to marvel in a lot of different ways. But the question then becomes, how do you and I apply that to today? Well, who is, the, who is at the height of authority? What's the highest governing authority that we would apply Romans 13 to? Honestly, in the United States, we're a nation of laws, not, not an emperor. We still are a, nations of, a nation of laws with checks and balances of differing, differing governing officials who have to make sure that the government leaves its citizens alone because the law is over even the elected officials. When elected officials are brought into office, they swear to uphold and defend the Constitution from threats both foreign and domestic. Why? Because the law is Caesar. The Constitution is the highest authority in the land. And if we're reading Romans 13, well, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. What has God appointed for the highest authority in the United States? It is the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution is the highest authority. When a governing authority below that authority is rebelling against the higher authority, they are the ones in violation of Romans 13. Let me give you a, a test case here. Right? Caesar in our government is not the governor, it's not the president, it's not senators, it's not even the people. It's the Constitution. So we had, in 2020, unlawful mandates where churches were excluded from being open. They had to remain shut down where abortion clinics and, and all other types of things were deemed essential. People like John MacArthur kept their churches open. 
Many Christians said, Romans 13, obey Romans 13. John MacArthur eventually sued, or there was a legal dispute. And as the courts worked this out, and other churches too, and there were some in Nevada and whatnot, then the Supreme Court stepped in and said, no, you can't do that to churches. You don't have the authority to do that because of the Constitution. So what the governing authorities were saying to the other governing authorities is that you have no delegated authority to do what you are doing. This person isn't actually breaking the law. John MacArthur wasn't breaking the law. The churches that stayed open weren't breaking the law. Rather, the elected officials were the one violating the highest law in the land, the U.S. Constitution. And so when we apply Romans 13 to today, we have to look at our unique governing system. And our system is rather unique in world history, and we should be ex extremely grateful for that. Even though it's being chipped away, even though it's being eroded, the highest authority in our nation is the U.S. Constitution. And if you find a or an authority that is out of step with that higher authority, you should obey the higher one, because he's the one violating that. And moreover, if any authority asks you or demands that you disobey God, you must obey the master, not the servant. It's the servant then. Who is in rebellion. So that's a lot to chew on uh, from Romans 13. But as we, as we look at this, we can summarize it again in this. The state is a servant, not our Savior. The state is a servant, it is not God. It is a servant of God, and that naturally limits and confines its role and its authority in our lives. And it is naturally underneath the authority of its master. And therefore, it is good for it to know who its master is so that it might serve him well. This is the Christian worldview applied to all of life. Uh, I encourage you to like, comment, and share. Uh, follow along as we continue to build the Christian worldview one minute at a time.